Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for, the one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, it's Palm Sunday. Let's bless the Lord. Would you do that? Stand to your feet. Lift your hands to the Lord. Let's bless Him this morning. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands and let's just bless the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Remain standing if you would. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. Today, Lord, we we celebrate his arrival and all of the wonderful things that he did. We join with the crowds as they shout, Hosanna! Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Moreover, Lord, we 
We pray that here today, God, you would reveal him to us more clearly so that we might not see him merely as we want to see him, but that we might see him as he truly, truly is. Then, Lord, we believe we'll be able to worship him in spirit and in truth, which is what you desire for us. So, God, I pray that you would anoint me, anoint me to preach effectively. God, give us all ears to hear. Come, Holy Spirit, accomplish your good will here today. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And everyone said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. And after you're seated, take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to look at this episode this morning that we commemorate on Palm Sunday, Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Before we read about that event itself, let me set the background. As Passover drew near, the Bible says that Jesus set himself to go to Jerusalem. He set himself to go to Jerusalem, which is to say that he was, that he was determined and that he was disciplined as he approached uh, the holy city. Each step that he made toward Jerusalem was an intentional decision on his part to submit himself and, uh, to the Father's will and to obey the will of God the Father. Now, it's hard for us to imagine just how difficult that journey must have been. Um, it was no secret to anyone, much less to Jesus, there's no secret that important and powerful men were plotting to kill Jesus. They, they wanted him dead. And so important and powerful men in Jerusalem were plotting to kill Jesus. And in fact, when Jesus announced his decision to go to Jerusalem, uh, it was Thomas who understood the implication of what that meant, that they were going to go to Jerusalem because Thomas responded and said, well, let us go and die with him. So Thomas understood the implication of going to Jerusalem. But only, but only Jesus, only Jesus understood everything that was going to happen in Jerusalem. Only Jesus understood the entirety of the event that was going to, only Jesus felt the full weight of, of what it meant that he was going to bear our sorrows, all of our sorrows. Only Jesus understood what that meant. Only Jesus understood what it would mean to become sin, which is what he would do when he suffered on the cross. Only Jesus understood what it meant to become sin. And, and because of that, to experience God's righteous judgment against sin. Only Jesus understood what it meant that he would be bruised and that he would be crushed for our transgressions. Not his sins, not his transgressions, but for, for our transgressions, he would be bruised and he would be crushed. So the temptation at every moment as he went to Jerusalem, the temptation at every moment must have been for him to, to turn and to flee and to go in the other direction or at least to, to try to find another way that this might be accomplished. And yet... Here's the thing, and yet Jesus gave himself to the task. 
Jesus set himself to go to Jerusalem, knowing uh, what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. He set himself, so he gave himself to the task. Don't misunderstand. Uh, Jesus did not reluctantly surrender to the inevitable consequences that he could not control. He wasn't just resigned to go to, to Jerusalem. You know, whenever I go to the, the doctor, that's how I go. I go resigned. Well, I've got to go. If there's any way that I could avoid it, I would avoid it, you know. And so when Irene called and said, you got an appointment at the dentist on this date, I looked through my calendar trying to find some reason to avoid <laughs> my dentist. And so if I don't have an excuse, then reluctantly I resign myself. Okay, well, I'll go to the dentist. Now, Jesus wasn't reluctant about going to Jerusalem. He did not reluctantly surrender himself uh, to those inevitable consequences. He was, at all times, he was completely in control. He was completely in control. In fact, in uh, John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. So you see, that, that makes Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, that makes Jesus' actions even more remarkable that he didn't have to go. He wasn't just resigned to go, but that every step along the way he was in complete control and he chose to go to Jerusalem knowing what was waiting for him there. That, that, makes, that makes his love for us more compelling. Amen. That he chose to go to Jerusalem where he would lay down his life as a sacrifice for our sins. That makes, how many knows that makes God's grace even more amazing that he chose to do it for us. You know, there's a um, there's a song that says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. In reality, you were on his mind before the cross. In reality, we were, we were on his mind before he was on the cross. Every step along the way to Jerusalem, he was thinking about us. And he willingly went to Jerusalem to lay down his life because of his love for us. So we sometimes, the point that I'm trying to make this morning is that we sometimes condense the pain and uh, the suffering of Jesus Christ. We sometimes condense it down to a few hours on Friday. However, that overlooks the agony that, that Jesus felt also on Sunday as he was approaching Jerusalem with, with apprehension, not, not fear, but with apprehension in his heart as he considered the, the drama that was about to unfold in Jerusalem during that week. He did it for you and he did it for me. Keep that in mind now as we read from Matthew's gospel the events of what we call Palm Sunday. So Matthew chapter 21, let's begin reading in verse, you follow along as I begin reading in verse number 1. Matthew 21, verse number 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village 
in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, uh, you shall say, the Lord, uh, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6, And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you not read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. I've made the point um, this morning that Palm Sunday is more complicated than it may seem. Um, and I'll, I'll have more to say about that in, in just one minute. But first, let's acknowledge the obvious, okay? And that is that Palm Sunday is, is a day to rejoice and to be glad that our King has come to us. Amen. That Jesus Christ has come. Jesus, uh, Jesus had made enemies in high places, and they were plotting his death. However, even his enemies acknowledged that Jesus was a friend to sinners, to the multitude. They loved Jesus. He was despised by, by those that had rejected the kingdom of God for themselves. I think John puts it that way. They had rejected the kingdom of God for themselves, and now... They wanted to prevent anybody else from entering into the kingdom, kingdom of God. So he had made enemies in high places. That he was despised by those that had rejected the kingdom of God. But he was, he was loved by the multitudes. He was loved by those who hoped for justice and for salvation and for deliverance. Because they saw in him the promise of everything that they hoped for. Everything that they prayed for, they saw in Jesus Christ. So they loved him. So consequently, wherever Jesus went, he drew a crowd. He drew a, a multitude. The multitudes gathered everywhere he went to hear the good news that he preached and to enjoy the miracles that he performed. The elites came, the small crowd of elites, they came to criticize and to complain 
and to condemn, but the majority of the multitudes, they loved Jesus. And so when Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem, the buzz has already um, preceded him. The buzz has already begun in Jerusalem before he arrives. Tensions, tensions were high, the Bible says to, uh, tells us. Tensions were high in Jerusalem, but Passover was an important holy day, and so everyone was asking, would Jesus come to Jerusalem during Passover, or would he stay away? Would he choose to stay away? So there was already a buzz in Jerusalem before uh, he approached Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus' popularity made it impossible for him to arrive unnoticed. I mean, it just would have been impossible for him to slip into Jerusalem um, unnoticed. But when his disciples go, as they do in this passage, when his disciples go to secure a donkey's colt for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem, the excitement goes off of the charts when Jesus sends his disciples to go and get a donkey's colt. Because it's like, it's like an intentional provocation that Jesus is making before he enters into Jerusalem. Jesus, Jesus walked everywhere. Everywhere he went, Jesus uh, walked or rode in a, in a boat <laughs> um, if he didn't walk on water, right? But everywhere Jesus went, he, he walked. In fact, he and his disciples didn't even own a donkey because they have to borrow a donkey, right? So Jesus walked, and, and he has walked, if you backtrack in the Gospels, you see that he has walked the entire way to Jerusalem. So he's walked all the way to Jerusalem, but now that he's on the outskirts of Jerusalem, he decides to ride into the city on a donkey colt. And here's the thing, like I said, it is a, it is a provocation that Jesus is making. It's a, in fact, it is a self-conscious fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy about the Messiah, which, which Matthew acknowledges here when he quotes Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It's a self-conscious fulfillment of messianic prophecy. But here's the full verse of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, so the act is, is more than just symbolic, it's prophetic. And Jesus is intentionally fulfilling prophecy. The choice is not accidental. The choice is intentional that Jesus makes here. The effect in the crowd is electric because he, they know that he is provoking the Pharisees and that he is announcing who he really is. So the, electi the, the effect is electric. They're sensing, in fact, sensing a confrontation the crowd begins to, to gather together. Everybody likes a good fight, don't they? <laughs> and that's what's happening. There's a scene, one of my favorite movies, The Quiet Man, John Wayne. You ever see The Quiet Man with John Wayne? One of my favorite movies where John Wayne has 
put off, put off, put off, confronting his brother-in-law, and finally it's just too much, and so he grabs his wife, and he heads out the door, and the whole town knows, okay, the showdown is happening. The fight is about to take place. And so the crowd gathers, they assemble, and they start flocking to John Wayne as he's marching across uh, the village. Well, it's the same, same kind of scene here is because Jesus has made a direct provocation, and he is announcing his identity and who he is, that he's the Messiah, and that he is the promised king. And so the crowd, crowd is shocked. And everyone sensing the confrontation begins, begins to gather around Jesus and walk with him. In fact, the disciples uh, begin to celebrate and they begin to rejoice, waving pomp, because they understand too, at least this much. So beginning, they begin to wave palm branches and they are shouting as they prepare the way for Jesus. And they, they lay those branches and they take off their coats and they lay them on the way in front of Jesus as if they would for a victorious conquering king because they understand the prophecy of Zechariah and what Jesus is announcing. And so they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which Originally, the word Hosanna was a plea for salvation and mercy. Lord, save us. Lord, save us. But eventually, Hosanna uh, began to be used as an exclamation. Salvation. Salvation has come. So the crowd rejoices because their hope for salvation is finally being fulfilled. They recognize that Jesus Christ has come to bring salvation. The Messiah has come. Prophecy is fulfilled. So they celebrate and they shout because the son of David, God's righteous branch, has come to save them from their captivity. And Jesus accepts their praise and, and their worship. In fact, remember in Luke chapter 19, his account of it when... Um, the Pharisees and the scribes were upset about it. You remember what Jesus said. He said, if they don't praise me, then he said, then the stones will cry out and worship me. So Jesus accepts their praise and their worship. He affirms their hope and their understanding that, that he is the Messiah. In fact, he affirms that hope by then going in. Not only does he enter into Jerusalem, but he marches straight into the temple and he cleanses the temple, he drives out the money changers, and what's more, not only does he drive out the money changers, but he allows the blind and the lame to come into the temple, something that was forbidden by the Pharisees. He allowed them to come into the temple, and there he healed them all, the, the blind and the lame. It's just a, it's a wonderful picture of God's salvation for us through Jesus Christ. Jesus is there overturning uh, the money changers' tables. Jesus is overturning the old order, and he is making all things new. It's a beautiful scene, isn't it? And indeed, Palm Sunday is built around that understanding. It is a, it is a day to celebrate and rejoice and dance and be glad because Jesus Christ 
is our Savior and our King, a King like no other, amen, and He has come to save us. Aren't you glad this morning? Let's just, let's give Him another praise offering. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so, so Palm Sunday is a, is a day to rejoice. It's an occasion to rejoice. But listen, notice, not everyone is rejoicing. As I said, Palm Sunday is more complicated than just that. Palm Sunday is a day to rejoice. It was a day to rejoice. But there's, but there's also happening here a great crisis of, of recognition, of recognition. Um, not everyone recognized what was happening that day. Not everyone understood the implications of what was taking place. For instance, Matthew indicates that not everyone knew who Jesus was. He was popular. The multitudes loved him, but uh, Matthew says that there were some people in Jerusalem who didn't even know who he was. They watched the procession and they said, who is this? What's, what's going on? And so there were some there that didn't even know who Jesus was. And then John's gospel says that even the disciples, although they were leading the parade, and they were the ones that had gone and got the donkey, and they understood a little bit of Zechariah's prophecy about the Messiah, John makes it clear that not even the disciples understood everything that it meant. They didn't have a complete understanding. They didn't have full recognition of who Jesus really was. And what he had come uh, to do. It, it wouldn't really click. It wouldn't really register with the disciples. Those that are closest to him. Until even after his glorification. After Jesus was raised. It was then that they said. Oh. Now I see. And I understand who he is. And why he has come. And then of course there are the religious leaders. Who are plotting to kill Jesus. They're, they're indignant about this, this show. And perhaps more than anyone else in the crowd that day, they understood the significance of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt of a donkey, but they were, but they were hard-hearted. And uh, they could not see that Jesus, or they refused to see that Jesus was the Son of God. So rather than rejoice and celebrate and shout, they scoffed. And they sat on their hands, as it were, and refused to rejoice and to celebrate. So not everyone is celebrating. In fact, the most revealing, um, the most revealing fact is a detail that Luke includes in his gospel. He says that as the procession drew near to the city, the people are rejoicing, shouting, that as the procession drew near to the city, Jesus wept. Jesus wept as the crowds celebrated and shouted and danced and rejoiced. Luke says Jesus wept for the city of Jerusalem. What a contrast. The people are rejoicing. Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. Why would Jesus weep during such a happy and such a joyful demonstration of the people's um, acceptance and their praise. They're worshiping him and praising him. So why would Jesus weep as such a demonstration of their acceptance and their praise and their worship? Well, he wept because he understood 
that they did not recognize their greatest need. He understood that they really didn't recognize what was really at stake. Therefore, they didn't understand why he had really come and why he was entering into Jerusalem. Most of the multitude that day thought that Jesus had come to simply save them from the symptoms of their slavery. So most of them, or many of them, I should say, not most of them, but many of them followed him because they had seen him heal the sick. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him feed the hungry. They had seen him open blind eyes. They had seen him make lame people walk again. And they believed, most of the folks in that crowd thought that that's why Jesus had come. They believed that he had come to improve their lives, to improve their lives, which included setting them free from the conditions of oppression that they endured under Roman occupation. They believed, here's the thing, they believed that he was the Messiah. They just didn't understand what the Messiah had come to do, what he had really come to do. Um, which is why many of them, here's the irony about Holy Week, that's the reason why many of them in the crowd on Sunday are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But by Friday, many of them would be shouting, crucify him, crucify him, because they didn't understand. They didn't recognize why Jesus had truly come. Jesus did not come to meet their felt needs. How many knows Jesus came to meet their real need? Jesus came to meet their real need. They wanted, they wanted freedom from poverty, freedom from uh, pain, freedom from sickness, freedom from hunger. But they didn't understand that those things were just symptoms of their real slavery. They assumed that, there's, that their conditions would improve somehow if somebody could save them from Rome. But Jesus understood that the real enemy was not Rome, but that the real enemy is sin, and he understood the cost that had to be paid if they were to be free from sin. So on Palm Sunday, the crowds, as the crowds rejoiced, and again, rightly so, it's, it's a day of rejoicing and celebration. So as the crowds rejoiced, Jesus wept, and this is what he said. He said, would that you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but they are hidden from your eyes. They couldn't see. And understand, they didn't know what their real need was. They assumed their need was more food, better education, or they needed better leaders. They needed, so they assumed these things would make their life better. But Jesus said, you don't understand that the real need that you have is that you're in slavery to sin. See, so I would that you'd know the things that really make for peace, but they're hidden from your eyes. They didn't understand that their greatest need was salvation. Not, not from the oppressing conditions of their own lives, but they needed freedom from the slavery of sin and from the curse 
of death. Jesus had come to set them free, but it was, but it was a more fundamental freedom that they needed. They needed freedom from sin. Therefore, they couldn't conceive the cost that he was going to, the price that he was going to pay. They couldn't understand the cost for their freedom. They did not understand that Jesus had come to give his life as a ransom for, for many souls. And here's the thing, every generation, everywhere, every person who's ever lived faces that same crisis of, of recognition. We're we're born into sin, the Bible tells us that. We're born into sin, and therefore, by nature, we're slaves. Slaves to sin. I don't know if that's new information for you this morning, but uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. <laughs> we're all born in sin. And so that means by nature, we're all slaves. And here's the thing, thankfully, thankfully God has given to each human being the innate the innate ability to be unhappy with their unsaved condition. He's, he's put something in each one of us that we know. <laughs> we know that we're lost and that we need salvation. Even, even those that claim not to believe in God, here, here's what they do believe. They do believe that we can, that we should aspire to be better, to better ourselves to make ourselves better. And if you think about it, that's a conviction that makes no sense unless you believe that there is some principle, that there is some person above us who is able to show us how, show us why to become better and to achieve more. And so as a result, many people confuse their felt needs with their fundamental needs. They think, well, what I need is I just need my life to improve. I need some way to make my life better. I need better, we need better education, as I said, better education, better health care. We need more taxes, less taxes. We need this or we need that. And all along, it blinds us to our real need. Here's the thing, we know that something's, we know that something's not right and, and so we're unhappy with the things in, in our life. And so we start looking for solutions. What's going to improve our life? What's going to make my life better? And so we're looking for solutions, but we're just looking for solutions to the symptoms in our life. We're just searching for solutions to symptoms. And how many knows we need more than solutions for our symptoms, we need a Savior for our souls. Amen? And that's why Jesus has come. He's come not just to give us solutions to the problems that we have in our life. Jesus came to be a Savior for us. Our fundamental need is freedom from sin and for fellowship with God and and that's what Jesus Christ came to do. Thank God. He also meets our other needs. Aren't you glad for that? Thank God he also meets our other needs. But Jesus didn't come to, to, to give us a better life. Jesus came to give us new life. <laughs> 
to give us new life, which required that he would come and that he would sacrifice himself for the sins of the entire world. And aren't you glad that he did that? Aren't you glad that he saw our fundamental needs, not, not just our felt needs? Thank God he's able to meet those needs also. He demonstrated that in the Gospels by feeding the hungry and healing the sick and doing those miracles. But the reason that Jesus came is so much more important than just meeting those physical felt needs. He came to save us from sin and to give us a new life, to restore the fellowship that had been broken between us and God. I'm glad that Jesus Christ came to free us from our sins. Amen? And when we recognize that is when we're willing to surrender our life completely to Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what Palm Sunday is all about. It's a day to rejoice and to be glad for a king has come. Amen? And to celebrate the great things, the good things that God has done for us. But we celebrate knowing that the greatest thing that he came to do was to give his life for us. So that we could be forgiven of our sins, restored into a right relationship with God. So that we could be adopted as sons and daughters. And so that we could have heaven as our home. Can you say amen? amen. Well, there's one, other, one last thing I want to point out about... Um, about Palm Sunday. It's a good day to celebrate, to rejoice, to be glad, to celebrate. It's a, it's a day for us to recognize why Jesus Christ really came, the real reason he came. But it's also a day that has a great responsibility, puts a great responsibility on you and on me. Have you ever wondered why Jesus told his disciples, you go into the village, you find a colt, colt of a donkey, a donkey, a colt of a donkey, and you bring it here, and then I'll ride that colt and donkey into Jerusalem. He said, if anybody asks you what you're doing, just say, hey, the master needs it, and they'll say, okay, that's cool. Go ahead and, and take it. But he sent his disciples to go and find the donkey that he would ride into. Have you ever wondered, why, why would Jesus do that, that he would send his disciples to do it? He could have done it himself. He could have found a colt, a donkey to do it. I believe... I believe that it was, he was teaching them something, that it was necessary for them to go to get the colt, the donkey, bring it back so that then they, listen, so that they could take Jesus to the multitudes. That they would be responsible for taking Jesus to others. And I think that that's the responsibility that we recognize when we see it properly the responsibility that belongs to us on Palm Sunday is that it's our responsibility to take Jesus to others. Amen? It's our responsibility. Those, those of us that have recognized why Jesus has truly come, that he came to save us from our sins and to deliver us from our most fundamental need, the world doesn't see that yet. The multitudes are out there. They're the ones that may or may not recognize who Jesus Christ really is. We're the ones that we recognize. Now it's our responsibility to take the good news of Jesus Christ to others. 
And I think that that's something that we overlook about Good Friday sometimes is that, that it's our responsibility to use the means, the means that God provides. He'll provide the means, but it's still our responsibility to take Jesus to others, to let them know. That's why we support missionaries like Steve Bortner. That's why we, uh, that's why we support missionaries that go overseas to foreign nations. What are we doing? We're sending, we're taking Jesus, we're using the means that are available, God makes available to us, and we're using them to take Jesus to somebody else. But it's why God expects us to be witnesses to others as well. Amen? We're, we're the ones that when the world says, who, who is that? <laughs> why, why do you get so excited about Jesus Christ? And how many believes the world says, should see a church that is excited and on fire for Jesus Christ? Can you say amen? amen. Because, because then they're going to say, who is that? Why are you so excited about Jesus? Why do you go to church? On Sunday mornings when you could go somewhere else or do other things. Why do, you, why do you give to the church? Why do you take your money and give it to the church? Why do you support me? What, what do you do? I don't understand that. Then we have the privilege of saying, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. Here's why. And I want to tell you that Jesus Christ has met the most fundamental need that we all have. We need a Savior and I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. You see, that's the responsibility that we have on Palm Sunday is to go and tell others about Jesus Christ, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ by the means that are available to us, by any means that are available to us, to take the gospel to others to share with them the glorious good news that God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Not just to put a Band-Aid on our problems, but to come and to pay the price for us, not just so that we would have a better life, but so that we could have new life through Jesus Christ. Amen? That's our responsibility. That's our privilege that God wants to use us. That's why God chose to use his disciples. Jesus chose to use his disciples in announcing that to others that he had come so that they might be a part of sharing the good news with others. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.